listening to Her Hacks Podcast, a podcast by women in cybersecurity for everyone. I'm Lauren. I'm Christine. And I'm Rebecca. Today's episode is the first in our Hacking the Interview mini series where we get you from resume to salary negotiation. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the upcoming episodes. We want to break down the first stages of the job hunting process. This involves establishing your brand. Once you have an idea of who you are, you'll be better equipped to know what types of companies and positions you even want to apply for. This episode was created from our personal experiences, where we're going to share the tips and tricks that we've learned along the way. First, if you are a college student and you're looking for your first ever job, then this episode is for you. Second, If you're already established in your career, then this episode is also for you. The personal branding episode is a culmination of our 25 years combined job experience in the job market, and anyone can take something away from this. Why don't we start with the very beginning? What is personal branding and why is it so important? So personal branding is how you market yourself to build name recognition, and it's how you want people to see you. It's a way that you clearly differentiate your value and what you bring to the table. And as you continue to grow in your career, it's going to become increasingly important to really establish who you are, what you're known for, and a way to make yourself distinct from others. It's more than just having a good reputation. It is about establishing who you are at the core. I agree. I would say it's establishing your core competencies and your specialties. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to be the big box store, even though they have everything. You want to be a costume boutique that tailors to like a specific product or a specific clientele. And you might be able to do as much as that big box store, but people kind of know the experience they're getting from you and getting that like extra level of effort. And I feel like it really helps you stand out and it can lead to more opportunities. You might be at the beginning of your career and feeling overwhelmed because you don't know what you want to be known for, and that's okay. But we're going to teach you all the different steps for how you can get started in your career figure out what your personal brand is and figure out how to pivot if you want to change into something new. Yeah, you definitely don't need to know your personal brand from day one. It's something that you build over time as you get to know yourself better, you get to know what your interests and your passions are. And it's something that you can kind of tweak based on your career goals and your career trajectory. Your personal brand is always updating and staying relevant, staying modern. You're not like going out and maybe reinventing yourself every five years, but you're keeping your brand relevant to your job, to your position and to your responsibilities and things like that. And that really helps people build trust in you because they know who you are. They know what you stand for. They know that you're fluid. And then when people look you up, because let's be honest, anytime you're doing anything in a professional world, I feel like there's some amount of researching or stalking or looking into other people, it's like very easy to find your narrative and you're controlling that narrative about yourself. And you get to kind of set the tone, set your story and tell people who you are. Yeah, that's a really good point. I feel like lately job recruiters have been reaching out to people online trying to fill roles. And I know that that's how me and you both found our latest roles. We were, I don't know if the word is solicited. Sniped. Um, 
Um, approached. Yeah, we were approached. And it's important that you build your brand because you don't want to be approached for roles that you're not interested in because otherwise um, that's just going to kind of fill your inbox. So Mm -hmm. if your brand is really clear, then recruiters are going to reach out to you for jobs that you could be really excited about. Yeah. And it makes it easier to get that perfect fit faster. So you're right. It is a total time saver there as well. Yeah. So now that you know why it's important to have a brand, how do you actually create your brand? How do you actually establish it? And unfortunately, you're going to have to do some work. It's going to take a lot of self-reflection. And we at HerHacks have a couple of questions maybe you could reflect on to start getting the juices flowing. So something you should reflect on is, you know, what are your experiences? What are your skills? What are your career goals? And really, what are your interests? What kinds of things do you want to do with your life? And then another thing is, you know, what is the job market that you're interested in? And what are the competencies that they are even looking for? And how do you have those competencies and where have you built them? Another thing is having like some kind of elevator pitch. So what are the important takeaways that an employer should know about you? Like, who are you? Can you say who you are, what you want to do in a quick little 15 second to 20 second breakdown? And what are you looking for in a company and position in general? Yeah. And I think kind of the first way to tackle the first thing on the list is how your experience and skills and goals and interests like align with the job. You really need to know yourself. Yeah. Like, I think that is the most critical part of establishing your brand because you can't have an authentic genuine brand if you're pretending to be somebody you're not so it's really important that you know what makes you 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 need to know like what your core values are what are your current strengths and then also what are your potential strengths like what is an area that you want to grow and build on over time and maybe you can target your brand That way, um, you should also be aware of your weaknesses and your bad habits, and you should know how they can help you and how they can hurt you. And then I think it's very important to identify interests, desires, passions as they come up. I know we said a couple times that this can change over time. So just kind of keep checking in with yourself, seeing how you're growing and evolving, and really making sure your brand is staying true to you, because you're not going to be able to pull off a brand that isn't who you are or that feels foreign to you or makes you feel like an imposter. Yeah, you don't and, and also, you know, don't be fake. So yeah. don't don't try to be <laughs> someone that you're not. Uh it's not about, you know, who you want to be necessarily. It's it's accepting yourself as you are and coming as you are. And, and also you kind of want to know what your audience is too. So if you're kind of trying to give it like a elevator pitch or a summary on like what your brand is, it might differ from like a technical audience versus HR versus your mom so or your friends. So there'll be different points you kind of want to add depending on who, who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. That is true. And it's okay to have aspirational desires and to kind of know what you're good at now and what you might want to be good at in the mm-hmm. future. I remember I applied for a job after talking to a recruiter And I said that I really wanted to be a red team operator, but I didn't have the experience because I was going to be a brand new recent graduate out of college. And he said, okay, I think you should apply for the red team analyst position and say that you aspire to be a red team operator so that they see your drive. And I think that ultimately helped me get the role because Mm -hmm. they knew that I was driven and really interested in the topic. 
something else that I've noticed just like in my most recent job search is sometimes I don't really know what I'm good at Mm. and it's hard for me to identify what I want in a job or what's important Mm -hmm. to me. So talking to a really close friend and saying, hey, what do you think I might look for in a job or what do you think I might enjoy can actually be really helpful. Yeah. And and also to caveat off of what you said, Christine, your brand is going to continually change and move over time. It's dynamic. So there's like an evolution from your aspirations to as you are now. And you kind of are the arbiter of your own destiny here. So you can kind of create the path, the trajectory you want to see yourself mm-hmm. progress in your career. Yeah. And you can use your own personal story to really sell it. For example, when I was really early on in my career, I felt like my brand was really a lot about growth and learning and trying to figure out my career direction. So I don't have a computer science degree, but I was in a computer science software role. And so the way I would tell my story is I have a lot of hands-on experience. I need to broaden that and just get more exposure that I didn't have in school. So I'm going to be really focused on learning and growing and building skill sets and trying a little bit of everything with the goal in mind that in a year or two, I can focus in more on what area of software or cyber I want to focus on. And that's who I'm going to be for the next two years. I'm going to be this student. I'm going to be taking on a lot. And then kind of the next stage in my career, once I had picked where I wanted to focus on, my brand was, okay, I have narrowed down my focus. Now I'm going to get really good at it. And so I'm not trying everything. I'm being very intentional with the skills, the projects, the things that I'm taking on to the extent that I could control that. And that was kind of how I began to shape my brand and say, this is who Lauren is. This is what she's good about. And then as that as that came along, it also evolved into, this is what I care about. This is what I'm known for. This is what my standards are. And it just kind of evolved naturally over time by taking that point and trying to like focus it in. And so if you can use your experiences and really tell your story and maybe give a little bit of context of like, here's why I'm doing this and here's why it's important to me. I think that helps your brand resonate a little bit more. Personal brand is important. We know why it's important, but whether you're straight out of college and you're trying to figure out how to build this brand or you're going towards your second, third, your fourth career change, it's always important to do research to see how that brand fits in with the different companies you're looking at and how you can tailor your brand to the specific audience and the specific role. You know, you might have a different take for a government contractor versus a nonprofit small startup. So let's talk a little bit about how you do that research and how you can use that research to really refine your brand, set the tone for the interviewing process. Yeah. So, I mean, you're probably going to start when we want to research the organizations you want to work for. You're probably going to start online. So you're going to want to look up different companies and to take a look at their mission. What is their mission? What is their vision? What are their values? And do you have a sense of what the culture is? And could you see yourself working there? Could you see yourself fitting into that? Do you want to elevate the world's consciousness? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but we work. You know, do you want to work in public or private sector? That's a big question. Or maybe you're interested in both. Are you looking for an established company or would you prefer that hustle culture, that startup life? You may already have a company in mind coming into this. 
So I want to pose a question to my co-hosts. Do any of you have companies that you dreamed of working for at a young age? I don't. No? You never No. Did? Not really. I know that that's kind of weird for tech. No. But for me, I am more interested in the work that they're doing and the tech stack that the company is like somewhat ethical. Yeah. There's a few companies that in college I thought, oh, it would be cool to work for. But now as I know more about how they treat their employees, I know more about work-life balance, and I just know more about how they operate and how they treat their employees at every level that I'm like, hmm, you know, I'm not as interested in working for you. And I've realized a lot of really cool smaller companies out there that I've never heard of. I don't want to sell those opportunities or experiences short just because they're not a big name, you know? Because there's something absolutely to ground floor helping build a program Mm -hmm. at a company as opposed to joining an already established one that already is huge and they have everything running a certain way. Christine, did you have any companies that you dreamed of working for? I feel like you guys are going to laugh at me. Good. No. Let's do it. (laughs) So like when I was in college, I got interviewed and I like said this. So it's like in a magazine somewhere. Wow. We got to find the magazine. Yeah. I really wanted to work for the NSA. That was my dream job. I like wanted to be a red team operator. That's elite. I thought it was the coolest job. I wanted to like essentially be on like the military front lines, but like I can't do push-ups. So well, I mean, and also the director of the NSA has to be like in the military. So I realized that that dream would probably never happen. You can still commission. It's fine. (laughs) I really wanted to work for the NSA. I had an application, but their timelines just take too long. And I just wasn't aware of how long the timelines take. If you really want to work there, you basically have to apply like two years in advance. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I like was unaware. So like even that role that was the analyst red team operator role, like I got conditional offers. I I got to interview the NSA. It was like a really cool interview. Like there's this like crazy math problem I had to do and I was really excited about it. Oh, that's awesome. I thought it was so cool and it wasn't in the cards for me. No, that's fine because one of my favorite movies, this is a little off topic, is Silence of the Lambs. So Clarice is like, it is related because, no, because Clarice in the movie is an FBI agent. And I actually always wanted to be like an FBI agent or at least a computer scientist that supports an FBI agent. So I totally understand wanting to work for like mm. some government agency. That's, I don't think that's funny oh, at all. No. I applied to go to the Naval Academy. So, oh, Lauren. Oh, really? That didn't pan out for me. And I'm really glad I chose not to pursue that at the end of the day. <laughs> I don't think it would have been a good fit. But that goes back to knowing myself. I had this idea of who I was going to be. And I don't think I was very honest with myself in college about who I am and what I value and also like, how I interact with other people and how I interact with authority, maybe. And so, you know, I was like, oh, I could do this. I could totally do this. And then I got to college and I interacted with some of the ROTC kids and they're very nice. There's nothing against that. I just quickly realized, oh, I'm so grateful I didn't do this because this is not for me and I would not thrive here. But that's why it's so important to create your own brand, because Mm -hmm. a lot of the time when we enter our careers, we have a lot of 
other expectations weighing on us, mm-hmm. maybe the expectations of our parents or the expectations of our friends that kind of skew our judgment or influence what we want to do. Yeah. So taking the time and, you know, as Miss Frizzle says, make mistakes to get messy, to kind <laughs> of try out things, see what works, see what doesn't work. I mean, that's all part of life. So yeah, no shame. It's just hard because if you want to work in either like Congress or FBI or NSA or something, you have to, first of all, be willing to take a pay cut and Mm -hmm. you have to be willing to maybe not have a job. So some people will either like go work somewhere temporarily and then like quit and go work um, at one of the agencies or they will not work kind of waiting for that job offer. Not a lot of people can afford to do that. Mm -hmm, So it's definitely a hard situation to be in. And like, I honestly was really blessed and I got other awesome job opportunities. I can't see why I would wait around for two years on a hope and a prayer when like I have other opportunities and I could start learning cybersecurity skills now. And also there's also other ways to support dream jobs, right? So instead of maybe directly working for the NSA, you could do contract work that's in support of the NSA if you really value their mission or what they do. So there's other ways also you can do that. Yeah. I worked with somebody actually who joined our company for like three, four months on our team and then left because they were in a similar situation. They were just waiting for everything to clear for the dream job to come through. And that was kind of a weird experience because he was there long enough that we could make friends with him. But then it was like, oh, you're just leaving us. You're using us. But at the same time, we were very happy because it's like, yeah, it's your dream job. We don't want to stand in the way of that. And I feel like it's so hard and it really, you really have to do that research because you need to know how long the timeline is so that you can make plans, especially if you need a paycheck, like most people need a consistent, steady paycheck so that you can come up with that kind of contingency plan of I'm going to work in an interim job for six months while this clears and hopefully I'll be able to pursue my dream job or like that. Yeah, I had no idea that's how the process even worked though. And it makes what that guy did make a lot more sense because he definitely didn't explain it before he left. He was just like, bye, I'm out. And to be honest, I know someone who works for the FBI in D.C. And for some reason, she has her Venmo public. I see that her dad is always sending her money for groceries. Um, And not everybody's parents can afford that. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. For sure. You might feel bad that you're giving up your dream job because you realize that you have to have a job that pays and you can't take an unpaid internship in Congress or something. And that's totally okay. Because at the end of the day, like you will get experience and you will like your path will turn out okay. I mean, we're all working for 40 years, right? Roughly like 22 to 60 give or take, if you follow like a, a more conventional path. We are never retiring. So, what are you talking about? <laughs> I So I feel like, you know, you've got 40 years to get that dream job and to your, your dream job might change over time as you begin to learn more about yourself and what might seem like your dream job at 22 
might not be the same dream job at 35, at 50, but you have so much time. And I feel like sometimes it's hard to take a step back and put it all in perspective, especially I'm very guilty of comparing myself to others. They're like, oh, we're a year apart, but they're two steps ahead of me in my career. Like, why am I not there? Or like, how can I push myself? And it's just not healthy. And I have to step back and remember, like, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And I'm happy with where I am. So I shouldn't compare myself to others. And I should focus on what's good for me. I think comparing yourself to others and imposter syndrome, I think that's all something we can cover in more in depth. Yeah, definitely. In general, yeah. Just compare yourself with the diff of your version. Also, grass isn't always greener. You're going to like romanticize this idea of a dream job. And there's going to be a lot of things that you find out later that are actually probably not a good fit for you. Like the NSA doesn't have windows and I need a lot of sunlight. So looking back, I think it probably wouldn't have been as good as a fit as like I played it out to be in my head. Don't like beat yourself up about either not getting your dream job or things not working out the way that you want them to because there's tons of good jobs out there. And there shouldn't just be one company that you're looking at. You should really look at a bunch of different jobs in the industry. You should make a list. Exactly. Yeah. 20, 20 companies you would love to work for. Girl, I make spreadsheets. <laughs> spreadsheets. So what are what are you looking at in your spreadsheets? Like what are you factoring in when you make the decision? Yeah. So like on my spreadsheets, I'm like, first of all, how much money does the job pay? Where is it located? How far is it for my family and friends? And then I also look at their reviews. So I have like a very unscientific way of grading reviews. But normally I want a company to have at least 3.5 stars on Glassdoor. I don't know why. That's just (laughs) that's just what I want. I just want 3.5 stars. I also try to look at all the negative reviews. So normally I will read every single negative review Mm -hmm. because even though sometimes it can be disgruntled employees, every time I've read negative reviews, they've always held multiple kernels of truth. Or you can find themes if you read enough of them. Like um, there was one company I read, I was researching and I found like five or six negative reviews that were all different, but the underpinnings were people of color have a hard time moving forward in this company and minorities like don't do well because it's so small and it's hard, it's hard to move forward. And so to me, it was like, okay, that doesn't jive with who I am. That's not a culture that's appealing to me. So this can come off my list even though there were a lot of great things about it, it's like I kind of have that gut check. Absolutely. And I think what both you, Christina and Lauren, are saying is what's important to you to look at is, you know, what is the culture like at the company? Are they well revered? What is the word on the street? What are the rumors? Do they have a quirky CEO or founder that yeah. posts a bunch of memes on Twitter? Like, are these the <laughs> kinds of corporations that you want to be supporting? That's exactly what we would want our listeners to do is to look into these things and make their own choices yeah. on what levels they want from a job position. Like you were saying, Christine, this can be way less scientific it really is the gut check of reading the comments and then like that gives you a good baseline of what to expect and then we'll cover this more in depth later on in the series but kind of checking in to see if that research aligns with the vibes you're getting from the people as you're actually interviewing and screening and talking to people to see if the way that they're presenting themselves actually aligns with the people you meet like companies know that they have a glass door page companies can kind of control 
control their brand of what they put out there. So I think doing a little bit of extra research and kind of digging in multiple places too can help you get multiple opinions on the company and try to like establish how you feel about it as you're doing that research. Absolutely. And and really, you also might want to take the perspective of the employer too, because at the end of the day, it is, it is a job, it is work, and you need to add value to the company. So what you want to do is align what your career goals are and ultimately what you want to achieve with what matches with the company, maybe what they offer as a service or what they are known to fund money into for research. So you want to find a role where you are doing the work for the company that is adding value to the company and more importantly, you. So once you have a few companies in mind that you think you might want to work for, you need to identify a specific role or position that the company is actually hiring for. There's usually job descriptions that give you an understanding of the qualifications they're looking for, years of experience, and things that are expected of what somebody needs to do that's going to be hired into the role. I remember when I was first applying for jobs, I actually really struggled to figure out what kind of job I wanted to apply for because I just had no idea what people actually did in a job. So even in my internships, I think that was one of my biggest mistakes. I didn't do any cybersecurity related internships and I wanted to have a cybersecurity job. So I was kind of applying blindly for things that said cybersecurity because I had no experience doing cybersecurity as an undergrad. So my only ways to like really resonate with the qualifications and things that they were asking about were if I took any classes related to the job or if I worked on any projects that were related to the job that I could talk about in the interview, like, oh, hey, I've used Python before. Hey, I've written C++ mm-hmm. in one of my interviews. Um, I'd never used Ida Pro, but I really wanted to be a reverse engineer. And luckily, I knew assembly, so I was able to use that to my advantage. But it's really important that even if you don't think you qualify for a job, just apply anyway. I actually got to talk to the founder of Mandiant because I applied for a job that I had no business applying to on the Flare team just because I was like, wow, this job looks really cool. And he was intrigued and he called me and I didn't get the job, but it was cool to hear about his career trajectory just like through that experience. Wow, that's actually kind of amazing. It sounds like they didn't want to crush you and they wanted to kind of give you some advice. Is that is that kind of what you took from it? Yeah, he actually gave me like some career advice and he because I, I had other offers or other places I was waiting to hear back from. And he gave me advice about, you know, what I should look for to build my skills. That's awesome. Yeah. Especially like knowing he probably has a busy schedule and taking the time out to talk to you. That would, to me, give me such good indications about a company that even if I didn't get a job there, I would keep them on my list to always kind of like check back and see, oh, like, do they have an opening? Is there something that would fit? Because I just, that would make me feel really important. Yeah, I guess now, so I guess it wasn't the founder of Mandian. It was Mike Sikorsky, who was like, I think he was like one of the first 10 employees or something, but he wrote Practical Malware Analysis. Yeah, Practical Malware Analysis. I was going to say, I recognize that. Yeah, name. Okay. So it was like really yeah. cool for me because I like bought the book to try and like self-teach myself. And so yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience, but I almost didn't apply for the job 
because I knew I, I like had no business applying for it. But then I don't know, I think I had like gone to some webinar that was like, women don't usually apply for jobs that they actually are qualified for. And women usually have to meet 80% of the qualifications before they feel comfortable applying, whereas men only feel like they need to meet 20% of the qualifications and they'll apply. And in reality, most jobs are listing minimum requirements and then their dream requirements. Or sometimes recruiters are just copying and pasting a whole load of requirements because they have so many positions open that there's requirements for multiple jobs all in one requisition. So there's no way you actually know everything in that requisition. Absolutely. I see that on Twitter all of the time where it's like an entry-level position that requires four years of experience and a CISSP certification, which is the Certified Information System Security Professional certification. And that's like mid-level career stuff that you would typically try to get that. It's not like entry-level. You don't necessarily come out of college with like an undergrad degree attaining that. Advice to the people who say that and complain about that on Twitter, you know, just apply anyway for the reasons that Christine just listed. Yeah. That article that Lauren found from Harvard Business Review, there's literally a scientific study done that said that women will not apply for jobs unless they feel like they're 80 to 100% qualified. Wow. Yeah. There's science behind it. We're not just making this up. We will link that in the show notes. So something else you want to think about with the job is the responsibilities of the role if you're or what the person is going to be doing on a day-to-day basis. Uh, if you're new and you've never really had a job before, ask somebody, what's your day-to-day like? How many meetings do you usually go to? Walk me through a day in your life at this job. What's the breakdown of your time? Is it 100% coding all the time? If you're really into reverse engineering, is it 50% reverse engineering, 50% threat intel? Is there some other kind of breakdown that you're looking for? Is there a rotational program or job shadowing that will let you explore all of your different interests? Something else that you should think about is make sure that you're not being under-leveled or accidentally under-leveling yourself. If you're moving jobs and you have experience, don't pick a title that's lower than your current title. And I know it's hard sometimes because lead or director or senior at one company can be totally different at another company. So do research on the levels at that company to make sure that the level you're choosing is commensurate with your actual experience. There's actually a website called levels.fyi that shows the levels across big tech because it is so confusing. Um, So you can compare years of experience at Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, et cetera. And then you'll know like, oh, a three at one company is a five at another. And it's actually for the same years of experience because one has more steps than the other. Um, So just confusing stuff like that. Yeah, I actually made this mistake when I took my current job. Not that I came in at the wrong level. I just didn't know what level I came into and I did not know how that translated. And then when I was going to update LinkedIn, I had no idea what I was supposed to put. And I knew roughly that it fit with my experience because I talked to the other people who were in the same role. So I had done the research from that side, but I did not know what my position was. I did not have a clear understanding of 
maybe what the career trajectory like level would be. And I'm at a smaller company, so it was it was less important than a bigger company that has these very clearly defined org charts and you must do this to get to this next step and that next step. But that was something I wish I had done a better job on when I was researching and going into roles. And I'm very happy with where I am. I just, I felt like I was underprepared when it came to that. So it's definitely very important. If you want to be a manager or don't want to be a manager, you have to make sure you're applying to the right role because you don't want to accidentally apply to a manager role and have to suddenly take on all these duties that you weren't interested in taking on. Or on the flip side, if you're used to being a manager and then not getting to be a manager, and maybe that's something that you had really loved yes. doing. Um, so yeah, just stuff like that. It's It's important to work with the recruiter, but also work with the hiring manager because occasionally there can be a disconnect. I would say that if you're using a third-party recruiter, there's a higher chance of there being a disconnect than if you're using an in-house recruiter. The in-house recruiters are usually paired with a specific hiring manager, and so they're more familiar with the internals of the company. That being said, not all recruiters are made equal. So Sure. You know, there always can be um, hiccups in the road, but it depends. Like I've had some friends who have had really, really great experiences, but for third-party recruiters, sometimes they don't want to present you as a candidate unless they're pretty sure you're going to take the role. But then I've had other friends where for some reason the recruiter was completely unaware of the salary expectations. So um, try to do your own research because you don't want to like get all your hopes up in a job and then like have them crushed. But if that does happen, you will find another job. Kind of going off of that too, uh, we'll talk about it more in the rest of our series. But once you get past the recruiter, you can use the interview to find out some of that stuff and to answer some of those questions. So if you do feel like maybe the recruiter isn't giving you the clearest answers, maybe just keep a list of that as you're researching or even just write down questions because you can always bring those into an interview. And we have a whole section on how to ask questions in the interview, but just kind of preparing those as you're doing the research will make that process go a lot easier. And then you'll have something to ask day of and you know like where you need more clarity for a company to move forward because we'll cover this a lot, but you really don't want to move forward with a company unless you feel really, really good about them. So no question is a dumb question. Write it all down and make sure they get answered throughout the whole process. And one of my little secrets on getting an inside track into feeling really comfortable with the company is try to find someone who works there that you can talk to. Um, who's not part of like your interview panel. So whether that's doing a search on LinkedIn to see who used to work at that company and went to your alma mater or see who had the job before you and try to reach out to somebody and see if you know anybody who maybe can give you some tips. I did that for my current company. Uh, I actually wasn't even considering applying until I talked to somebody who used to work there. And when she highly recommended it to me, that made me want to apply. So use all of these research tools to your advantage and don't be afraid to just, you know, reach out and talk to people. Worst case scenario, they won't reply. I love how bold you are, Christine. <laughs> 
that would not cross my mind or if it would I would be too scared to do it and I know that's like one of my weaknesses that I need to improve on but I just really admire that because it's a hard skill and it's something that like might not come easily to everybody but I think it's really important and I wish I were were better at that. No, like Christine has no fear and no shame and she will just cold message. I think it's because I do it so often that like now it's it's just like I don't even hesitate, probably to a fault. If I have something to say, I'll just like say it. Like Elsie from Love is Blind, when she was posting about how Mark from Love is Blind had cheated on her and I had been cheated on. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to share these like resources with her to make her feel better and give her this really cute like quote thing that I'd just seen in a TV show. And we started talking and stuff. And then she told me some like tea that ended up coming out like later in the reunion thing. But I found Mm. out like, you know, one month before the rest of the world exclusively. Inside Um, scoop. I don't know. It's just like, it's just nice to like kind of connect with people. And especially during COVID, I think I started doing it more because like, you know, if you see somebody's like feeling sad about something or upset about something, I'm like, oh, let me give you some advice. And then I kind of hope that it's like good karma and that somebody will like do it for me in the future. Oh, so it's for (laughs) selfish reasons. That's, that's what, that's what it actually is. It's so true, Christine, because I've had people reach out to me before, and I've always felt, like, so happy to help, and I never, ever considered that me sending a message could make somebody else feel good until you just said that, and I really enjoy helping. Wow, you're, like, changing my whole perspective on this, and now I'm going to go cold call, like, 15 people. (laughs) (laughs) It's just kind of like, you know, put out good vibes in the world we need all the good karma we can so that we get these interviews and callbacks on our resumes thank you so much for listening to her hacks podcast follow us at her hacks podcast that's her hacks with an x for execute permission on twitter instagram and tiktok don't forget to subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a future episode drop and please leave us a star for each of our lovely hosts that's five with an encouraging review click the join link for our discord in our show notes or at herhackspodcast.com. let us know what you think about this episode and also engage with me and all the other hosts yeah, you just said it. So just say it again. Oh, gosh. <laughs> say it in the podcast way.